0: Back to the Matt Mosley Show on ESPN Central Texas. On right, his Matt Mosley Show, Drake Toll, Aaron Sexton alongside as we roll along on a, a Saturday. And man, it's always fun to uh, to have Kevin Longquist on. He's a man who tried to leave us because he left his rival's platform <laughs> behind. And tried to move on with his life, but still, we reach out to him, especially on days like today, when the SMU Mustangs, his alma mater, are uh, are allowed into the ACC. Um, Kevin, welcome back to the program, and, and congratulations to you on uh, on being back in, well, a Power Five type conference.
1: Well, thanks, Matt. It's good to be with you. And by the way, Drake, congratulations to you on uh, joining Matt. Now you can absolutely keep him in line. That's the yeah. most important thing you can get, get out of that. So, um, but I think today it was interesting because when I got the text about seven ten this morning that this went down, and I think the vote was, I think it was twelve to three or whatever it was, and the swing vote was North Carolina State. You know, it was almost kind of like a weight had been lifted from the university and obviously all factions of those who have been around this school for as long as I've been, and that's going back to, what, 36 years now um, when I started there in 87. And I think you know, this climb back, because keep in mind, Matt, and Drake, you didn't know this, uh, but I started at SMU the two years that SMU didn't play football, 1987 oh, and wow. 1988. wow. Yeah. And so you talk about an absolute epic nightmare that was those first two years. So if you think about the journey from that time to where it is this afternoon with the – well, they're having the big celebration press conference right now at Armstrong right now to talk about this. um, It's almost like – it almost feels surreal in some respects because what we were talking three weeks ago about the fact when they were on the precipice of joining the Pac-12, And that totally collapsed when Oregon and Washington left. And I was on another show talking about the fact, well, SMU needs to focus on being the best G5 program that it can, compete for championships, things like that, so that it can reposition itself. But I think as we've seen over the last few months, and heck, even really starting with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten last year, the the tables are so different now, guys, from, from what we saw from the traditional, like, Nebraska going to the Big Ten, and Missouri going to the SEC. The the rules that were in place there at that time no longer exist in 2023.
2: Kevin, is there a feeling, and you get the national sense, that this is the beginning of the end for the ACC since Florida State, UNC, Clemson dissented? They will likely leave the conference. Uh, Is there any thought that... Sure, SMU's joining the ACC, but will this conference still exist in five years?
1: Well, okay, so I think the best way to answer that, Drake, is this. You can't worry about what happens in five years. Yeah. There is obviously a lot of saber rattling going on between Cle- between what's going on at Clemson and at Tallahassee and in Chapel Hill. Yeah. Understand. By the way, there was some, whether or not this is accurate or not, but I'm going to throw it out there because so much stuff was flying anyway over the last 72 hours. But there yeah. had seemed to be support from unc for this edition until that board of trustees uh tweet went out last night mm. voicing their displeasure over this and saying we hope that they go against it and it was kind of like it's a, you know how politicking goes on in the background where you say all right we'll look like we're that we're staying above board but if you do it then you look like the hero that sort of thing. which yeah. i that if you believe that theory then that's where nc state looks like the theory and, and unc doesn't catch the shade now As far as the future is concerned for the conference after Stanford, Cal, and SMU are added and whatever happens with that, I think the best way to answer that is that these three universities have to look at this five-year window and whatever happens with the conference, especially including the grant of rights, which are still pretty hard to get out of. I don't care how much Clemson and Florida State can scream to the high holy heaven about this. They're going to have a tough time getting out of this whether they like it or not. Keep in mind, they're the ones who agreed to this, and their legal people knew that at the time when this was signed. So for them to cry about this, they have to look in the mirror and say, there's not a lot we can do about this unless there's a significant financial uh, part involved in this. But SMU, Cal, and Stanford have to look at this and say, what can we do to put ourselves in the best athletic position so that if there is a huge Maneuvering again over the next five years, so this won't ha- this will keep happening over the next few years, guys. It will. I mean, but they just have to keep working at it and positioning themselves. Perfect example for SMU over the last ten to fifteen years. They've contributed a quarter of a billion dollars at new facilities or upgrades and that sort of thing. Currently, in the south part of the, at Ford Stadium, they have the Gary, Webzo- Gary, Gary Weber uh, end zone complex that's being constructed. It'll be finished. Before the 2024 season starts, yeah, I know there's going to be talk. I know there's going to be talk now of probably redo, redoing the concourses at Ford Stadium, which is what about 22 years old now? Because I think it opened in no 23 because it opened in 20, 2000. So there's a lot of things that SCA, they have to be uber aggressive and making themselves even more marketable, if you will, when this next huge wave of a shift happens.
0: Kevin Longquist joining us formerly of Rivals. He's become a free agent. A lot of folks are trying to secure him. He's like I he's he's got no interest right now. I don't think he I think he's enjoyed having a break from talking to all these uh recruits. Um but Are oh, you flying. Wa- I I got to think that how weird is that, that just a few months ago in February George Klejovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, was on campus at an SMU basketball game, and there was so much about that, and people seeing him and trying to take pictures and everything. And that whole thing has gone away. I mean, I, I these things can, like you say, can change in such a hurry. Think about it. Even a few weeks ago, it was like, no, nah, it's, it's not going to happen. Stanford and SMU, they're not going to get in. It's wild that right. SMU. Uh, again, you went there and so we'll call it an academic giant, but we, I think you would even agree that it's not Cal Berkeley and Stanford. I mean, I, I think of Stanford, Kevin, and even 10, 15 years ago, they were, they got all those great Olympic sports, but they were a really good football program. They were top, man, they were at times top 15 and man, they were lucky to find a home here. I mean, and that speaks to what you're saying for how quickly this thing can get away from you, um, yeah. if you if you don't watch it, know, SMU's hoping that the 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 more the visibility, the more TV, everything that comes with the ACC is going to lift them and get them ready for whatever the next iteration is.
1: I think the one thing with this, Matt, is okay. So for folks who don't know, I mean SMU basically joined the S or excuse me the ACC by foregoing the next nine years of TV revenue. I mean, if they don't do – I think two things played into this. Number one, that was probably one. And then the second thing is they're in Dallas, and that's a huge market for the conference to be in. So that plays to their advantage in that respect. Now, I think from that perspective of them foregoing the TV revenue money is a lot of alums, like those I just mentioned a few moments ago, I basically have said that they would fit the bill to offset the revenue cost of what, or what the revenue money that SMU would have been generating, perhaps from what their deal with the American Athletic Conference. And again, SMU appears to be poised to join the ACC July 1st of next year. They're going to have to deal with an exit fee and that sort of thing. But if you cover that with, let's just say, for the sake of discussion, 10 to 12 million per year, which is more than what SMU would be bringing in with its current relationship with AAC, which is about uh, eight, then you factor in the revenue that they're going to be bringing in from the bowl payouts. And if Clemson or Florida State or whoever gets into the college football playoff in future years, along with those distributions from the NCAA tournament, both on the basketball and baseball side, what uh, they, you know, they had a couple teams, you know, Wake Forest, number one team in the country in baseball, those will they'll get, and those, that's money that they were never realizing with the AAC. For one, the bowl payouts were much smaller, and two, there was smaller representation. The AAC would have two or three teams in either of those baseball or basketball tournaments, while the ACC now, five, six, whatever.
2: Kevin, when you think about the football product at SMU now going and facing a Clemson, a Florida State, I mean, everybody starts somewhere, and you're going to see that with the Houstons and and UCFs of the world in the Big 12 this year. How far is that jump? How far does SMU need to jump to compete in the ACC?
1: Well, I think, Drake, the interesting thing for SMU is that they're going to have a pretty good litmus test in front of them to watch what those schools you just mentioned, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU – Central Florida, how they navigate their way through conference season. And then they're going to probably study how, or at least they should, uh, because Cal and Stanford don't have to worry about that. But as far as SMU is concerned, I think they're going to have to really watch what it's going to take from a depth standpoint, what it's, standpoint, what it's going to have to take from a support system standpoint, you know, all the things that really make you look like a P5 program. And if those infrastructure things if they take the lessons that those schools are because these schools are learning are going to be drinking out of a fire hose, and SMU is going to be doing that next year anyway. But since SMU can watch those four schools go through this year, basically through the entire academic and athletic calendar, more so the athletic calendar. But if they can watch those schools to see how they deal with that, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be beneficial for them to some extent. Can they? I feel like now. Drake, that where SMU's talent is, I made this comment earlier that with the schools, the kids that they brought in, I think they changed that roster over like 40 some odd players and a healthy number of those came from Power 5 schools. Mm. And I think this is the deepest roster football-wise that SMU has had since it returned from the death penalty in 1989. And what I mean by that is, I think last year they went from a lower tier P5 program roster to a mid-level P5 roster this year. Now, how that translates on the field, we'll have to wait and see. But again, I think it changes a lot of things for them from a recruiting standpoint. But I, I think they'll have some growing pains because it depends on what their schedule is going to look like. And will they travel to North Carolina? Will they travel to Clemson? Will they travel to Florida State? Or will they even see those schools in the first year of competition? I think it's all going to be interesting for them. And, you know, it, it's
0: but you got to you got to crawl before you walk. Yeah. Well, it's um, I, I'm it's a proud day for SMU, uh, and, and folks, and and uh, it's exciting, and it's a little strange to uh, as you were talking about on Twitter uh, to, you know, the the thought people saying, well, SMU bought their way in, but again, you got to get the seat to the seat at the table, and I don't think SMU fans today are feeling any embarrassment over what they're taking or, or what they're not taking. I, I just don't think that's even happening out there. So that's interesting. By the way, Kevin, you can hear him. He's making his way somewhere. And where he's headed, uh, Drake, is out to do something, something similar to what you're doing tonight. He'll be at Denton C.H. Collins Stadium. And uh, he'll have the denton or Wildcats, a juggernaut, in uh, high school football against the Alito Bearcats which has how many state championships now uh, in the last, like, 15 years, would you say, Kevin?
1: Uh, what is it, like? I think it's 10 since 2009, and they have 11 overall. That's a, that's a Texas state record. And, uh, and it's, I took over this year as a play-by-play voice for them. Cause, and this is my 18th season to do the Bearcats. And learned a lot from uh, my predecessor, Jeff Williams, uh, one of the best in the business. And uh, it's it's an honor to call this team, uh, be around mm-hmm. this program for over the years. And the way they're set up, guys, they've got a shot to go for number twelve this year. Wow. Uh, they can get a little, they can get a, little, they can keep their defensive front healthy, especially at the tackles position. Of course, Drake, you should have such problems with China Spring. You got yeah. certain. Uh, you got a certain defensive end who's committed to a certain offensive coordinator at Baylor, so you got that going for you too. So.
2: Yeah, we do. Yeah, Kevin, I don't have 11 state titles or 10, but I'm I've, I've, I'm only eight short. I'm only eight short. I'm I'm on my way with the Cougars. you get yeah. spoiled
1: though, don't you? You get spoiled though, getting you know calling those games the Saturday or the week before uh, Christmas, don't you?
2: I I do. It's a long season, but. Um, you know, I, look, they had not won one since 1978 till I got to town. So, not saying there's coincidence, but it's it's been a pretty good couple of years,
1: for sure, absolutely. And you can and and don't be so modest. Just say I showed up and they won. Yeah,
2: the toll <laughs> effect is that what you're saying? Is that what you just call it, Kevin? You call it the toll
0: effect? I
1: would say I, if if you don't say it, Drake, then I will.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, the the Baylor Bears, the team that you formerly covered. Get started against the Texas State Bobcats, G.J. Kinney and his bunch. He was on with us earlier this week. Kevin, um, you know this Baylor roster pretty well because you followed a lot of these recruits. And it's interesting, isn't it, to finally see some of these guys get their opportunity. I mean, there's one cornerback I was looking at the other day, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I remember when Kevin was talking about his recruiting. Um, He's a kid with a cool name. Um, anyway, no. you know, you remember they do, they do those little uh, those little uh, uh, videos of the things driving around oh, yeah. the miniature cars. Um, right. but anyway, what do you what do you make of this um, this Baylor team? Do you do, do they strike you as a possible X factor in the Big 12? Like Drake has them winning. I think eight. 9 he oh, 8, eight games. has won in 8 games. Do you think that's a a fair number what do you what do you see with this team? Oh, well, Chateau. Chateau is the kid I was trying to think of. Chateau. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, okay, kid out of Oklahoma. Um the uh, you know, Matt right before I left, one of my final stories was predicting their game by game record and like Drake, I have them going eight, I had them going 8 and 4. And think about it this way. They've got eight home games on this schedule. So if you think about it by and large, they better win at least seven with that schedule sitting right in front of them. I mean, the real danger spot for them is those back-to-back games at Kansas State and at TCU. Right. Um, And I think the most important game for them, you know, Utah is going to be a great test for them, of course. Um, But, you know, they're going to get Texas for the final time on the 23rd. And there's going to be so much emotion uh, running into that game. I think the key for this team this year is really going to be how Blake Shapen puts the disaster of 2022 behind him because it was such a turnover nightmare for him. It just becomes authoritative running that offense there. And, you know, if he can be – if he can command the stage for them and just act like he knows what he's doing and he can run it, it really plays to that offense's favor. I think the tight ends will be fun to watch. I – you know, Drake Dabney, get uh, your boy Drake Dabney, Matt. I mean, he's. Yeah. I think he can have a big season. For I think Kelsey Johnson will be a factor <laughs> in that offense. I think the other thing that's key for them, uh, because I heard that Quaylon Jones is no longer on the team. Yeah. But you know, if they if they can get some, you know, some quality mixing in the running back play, and again with running games today, you can have ten here with this guy, eight with this guy, you know, that sort of thing. If they balance that out, that'll be fine. The key for them on the offense, is is Tetron Jackson has got to become the alpha receiver, which is why they went and got him through the portal. And if he doesn't do that, then the wide receiver room doesn't look any different from what it did last year.
0: Interesting thought, because I, I think – it may not look different as far as personnel. I think some of those guys might take another step. But uh, you remember this time last year, that was the one area. Aaron will remember this. I was worried about some of this. I was worried about that wide receiver room, and it ended up being a, a warranted worry. But they do seem like they've kind of fortified the situation and, and could put together a pretty good room. All right, uh Kevin, have a good call. I love that Alito podcast that you're doing. And um, I'll, uh, you know, Hunter, uh, Hoss, Haney, and the rest of them. Oh, and by the way, that Guillory, that's a guy for whatever year that is, 2025 or 26. I think that guy's going to be unreal. Yeah, uh, Drake. They got this kid, Ray Guillory, who who may be the best back to ever come out of Alito. And guess who came out of there? That was like Jonathan – what was the guy's name? Went to Texas. It was so unbelievable, Kevin. Jonathan,
1: Jonathan Gray, and then that was yeah. then followed by Jace McClellan. And so, yeah, and you're not wow. the first one who has said that, who thinks that Guillory could be better than Jace. Um, I mean, think about it. Guillory's first touch of uh, his Toledo career for 75 yards.
0: Oh, man. He's out oh, in Ditton. Yeah. Oh, man, it is, uh, yeah, remarkable, uh, remarkable stuff. Have a great call out there at, at uh, in Denton tonight, and we, uh, we it was great catching up with you, Kev.
1: Always a pleasure, Matt, and Drake, good luck to you tonight with the China Spring.
2: Thanks, Kevin, we're going to need it.
0: <laughs> All right. There he goes, Kevin Longquist. Yeah, I don't know if you